I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, I hope nobody lost excitement after Saturday. This team has a chance to be really good. I think this team's going to prove a lot to a lot of people. And, you know, if, if there's still some tickets out there, buy them up and come watch this team. There's a special group of kids with a lot of character, a lot of talent. We can't wait to play in front of the fans, so we need you there. We're here to play some football, here to enjoy it, here to have fun, and our guys are going to do that. And we're getting better, and we're giving it everything we have, everything we have. There's a lot of investment here on this end. We are going to get things right. So stick with us. We're going to play our tails off every week. I sincerely hope you enjoy watching that. You can't move on from that, but you got to get ready for the next week. And the next week is like a, you know, the saying day by day, week by week. We got to be ready to roll. Can't really just, just stick in the ground. Like, can't just keep thinking about the last game. And welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, back from Champaign as we had some O'Hare Airport adventures. We got back and... Monday morning greeted us very nicely, but, it, you know, Robin, it's one of those weeks. Um, it's an ugly week, and we knew it. I mean, we knew what that game meant in the big picture. There was no scenario other than Nebraska leaving Champaign with a win where things were going to be good. And they played poorly and had the, the mistakes um, that, you know, we, we've seen in the past. As Scott Frost said, the same movie over and over again. They lose at Illinois and – you left there with more questions and answers, and and now we hit this stretch with Fordham and Buffalo, and you're just not going to get a lot of answers in these games that maybe you want to see. So it just adds even more to the intrigue of what direction this season's going to head. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why we were calling that Illinois game the most important opener and maybe even the most important game of Frost's career at Nebraska here because so much uh, of the result from that game was going to decide the rest of the season. And now here we are on on the other end of the pendulum here where instead of a, a win and feeling good about yourself for three straight weeks, uh, you have more questions and answers. Uh, the amount of frustration and anger and apathy amongst the fan base has never been higher. And now you got to try to convince people to come watch you play an FCS team at 11 a.m. kick for your home opener. It's worst-case scenario right now uh, for Nebraska football, and a lot of, and so much of it has to do with not only the fact that they lost that Illinois game, but they looked so bad doing it. All of the things that they insisted all offseason had been improved, whether it be the attention to detail, cleaning up the penalties, not turning the football over, better special teams. They were Nothing had changed. Everything was equally as poor as it has been the last three years, and I think that – uh, really twisted the knife. I mean, if they would have lost, you know, 42-41 and Adrian Martinez looked crisp and they were running the football and making forcing turnovers on defense, maybe it's a little bit different of a pill to swallow. But the fact that 
you know, they just look so inept at times. They couldn't block. They couldn't run. Yeah, they couldn't do anything they wanted. They looked discombobulated from the jump. And outside of a, a freak 75-yard scramble for a touchdown, they had no big play ability. And it was just one of those things where, you know, you, you ram your head against the wall so many times before you uh, got to try to find some, do something else. And right now it doesn't look like they have any answers. Well, and then um, Scott Frost admits this week that they prepared for an odd man in front the entire time. And they really didn't rep a lot against even man fronts. I mean, everybody thought Illinois was going to be a 3-4. I think Brett Bielema hinted at it. They ran it in the spring game. Well, they didn't run the 3-4. They ran the 4-3. So um, you have a new tackle in Brant Banks and you just younger guys on that line that haven't played as much, and it showed. I mean, they just weren't able to adjust on the fly, and, and that goes back to coaching. And I'm sure Trev Alberts, when he was at that game and his role looks at stuff like that, he's like, man, you know, we're Division One athletes here. We've got to be able to adjust from a 3-4 to a 4-3. That is not some, you know, thing that should be a game breaker. You know, like, oh, they're going even. Let's let's figure. I mean, like, you have to have the ability to do that. And I think when Nebraska fans, former players, reach out to me, that comment really upset a lot of people that, you know, something like that, they weren't able to adjust their scheme on offense on the fly. Yeah, I mean, it just makes it seem like they, they were completely guessing and had no idea what to expect. And when something caught them by surprise, the game was over. They had no answer for it. They could not run an effective, efficient offense just because Illinois gave them a different look than what they were expecting. And that is a real cause for concern, in my opinion, that not only did they – I mean, I guess you can give them a little bit of a pass with a new coaching staff. You weren't quite sure what to run, but – the fact that they were so unprepared to adjust as the game went on after seeing what Illinois was actually going to do, that's an issue. And then you got, you know, Scott Frost saying that, you know, they threw out half the play or the, the game plan uh, when Illinois came out um, in an even front. Well, then Matt Lubick on Tuesday said that, oh, no, they talked all month about what they were going to do with a, an even man front or an odd man front. They had a whole play sheet for what they were going to do versus an even man front. So, Clearly, something is being lost and in we didn't translation. Hear, and by the way, we didn't hear from Greg Austin this week. So yep. that, that's another twist for me. Um, Scott Frost didn't want to talk about how the O-line graded out, but he said you can talk yeah. to Coach Austin about it. Well, well we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't talk to Coach <laughs> Austin about it. So, you know, that, that's another storyline in the storyline. You know, is there some friction there? Is everything good with kind of where that O-line's at? Because – it just didn't seem like that whole thing was very not at all very good. I mean, they couldn't run the ball on early downs. They couldn't protect on passing downs. And you look at, I mean, it wasn't just watching with your own eyes. Like, uh, you know, we did the the pro football focus grades, uh, and you broke down the offense and that offensive line's performance. Seventeen how it pressures, was, five sacks. I mean, stuff like that. Like, it's glaring how bad they were. And I guess, yeah, they're they're a younger group, and they were starting a new left tackle, but. I mean, <laughs> I think no one expected them to be that bad. I mean, I think that was one of the conversations all offseason was that how much improvements they'd made with their personnel and how they were deeper and more talented and had the right mindset. Well, clearly that was not the case. And when they couldn't run the ball early, they went away from it and panicked and started throwing the ball over the field. And uh, that's the result that we ended up with far too often. Well, the game got off schedule, too. When you go back and look at last week, it was – somewhat on schedule in fact nebraska had the lead it was nine to two and they get another sack it looked like it was a late hit though and led to an interception so it erased everything at that point and you know, the game turned there nobody can deny that i mean nebraska was gonna have the ball at midfield to go up by two possessions instead illinois got 30 yards and penalties and they scored 
and then they caused the turnover and scored off a scoop, scoop and score, and they get the ball back and they drive down eight minutes and score again. I mean, they, but we've seen, and that's that's what's tough for Nebraska fans. They've seen that series that we saw yeah. way or, too much. Or one bad break loses you the game. I mean, <laughs> yes, Caleb Tanner's penalties were, were crippling. They negated a turnover, led to a touchdown drive, but... Well, how does that explain what happened over the next 21 straight points Illinois scored? I mean, the fact that they let one bad break completely take them out of the game where uh, their, their schedule was thrown off and then therefore they had no plan offensively. I mean, that's, I just don't understand why things flipped as dramatically as they did in that situation. I mean, have some you know, resiliency. Have a, Stick to your plan a little bit, especially with all the talk they'd they'd made about kind of wanting to redefine themselves offensively. It looked like the same old, like you said, same old movie we've been watching far too many times over the last few years here. Well, now Nebraska plays a game this week that it's just a game. I mean, they're playing Fordham, who didn't even have a fall season last year. I played three spring games. It's an 11 a.m. game. I mean, the biggest storyline, and we'll get into this in our next segment, is the sellout streak and, and kind of where that is for Nebraska and, and and kind of what that all means in the big picture with fans coming back. So lots to discuss, lots to think about here as we get you ready for Nebraska and Fordham on Saturday at 11 a.m. You are listening to the Husker Online Show. Hi, it's Sean Callahan with Husker Online. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and see what we find. Learn more at uscellular.com slash built for us. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Really excited to see Memorial Stadium in full force. Uh, the spring game was, I don't know, 40% capacity. Excited for that. Excited for some of our young guys, some of the guys who their first year was last year. They don't truly know what it's like. Um, when you're waking up in the morning, you look out the window, you see red everywhere, and you hop on the bus, there's people outside your hotel ready to go. You're making your way to the stadium, and people are flooded, flooding the streets. It's, uh, it's an amazing environment and, and part of what makes this place so special. So very excited for that. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, as quarterback Adrian Martinez, talks about seeing fans in Memorial Stadium for the first time since 2019 for a regular season game. Obviously, we saw the spring game um, that was, I believe it was, what, 25% capacity, if I remember right, or 25,000 or whatever yeah, they allowed. 25,000. Um, in for the spring game. But this will be different, as we know. And um, game not a sellout yet. And, I mean, I think that's the bigger story going in. Um, it will be great to have fans back. It's not sold out. But I think with where things are at right now and COVID numbers, there's definitely people leery to go into large venues like Memorial Stadium um, because of some of the risk involved uh, based on your personal health situations or whatever. So the South Street is probably going to come to an end, but there's legitimate reasons that have played a factor, I think, with some people maybe not wanting to attend. On, number one, Nebraska's play on the field. Number two, kind of what's going on in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a a perfect storm working against uh, saving this thing. I mean, obviously, last week's result uh, really was a gut punch in a lot of ways for 
just fan enthusiasm about this season. And now uh, to ask him to come back and, and spend, you know, normal game money uh, to come watch a, an 11 a.m. game against a lowly FCS-level opponent, uh, I mean, I don't know what, what that does for anyone. So it's going to be a weird environment, no question about it. Uh, the people that – I mean, there's still going to be a good amount of fans that show up. It's this, it's a home opener, first time fans have been able to see their team play since 2019. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're still going to draw a crowd, but it's, there's more than likely going to be some noticeable gaps in, in, the, in those bleachers. And that's going to be, for one, weird part. But then also I'm just wondering what the energy is going to be like with the fans. If, if things don't go perfectly, you know, when do the murmurs and the, the groans, maybe even some boos start happening? <laughs> yeah, you know, and typically this would be like an opener. Fordham, you, know, you wouldn't play a, a tough road league game mm-hmm. before an opener. Um, so it's interesting just in that sense. And a lot of times a game like this on Labor Day weekend would be a night game. You know, if it's, if it's a throwaway game that you know is going to be on the BTN, Nebraska generally would have some latitude that, you know what, we want this at night. But um, the, there is less inventory as well available because there's a lot of Thursday, a lot of Friday. There's a lot of conference games this weekend too. Mm-hmm. So BTN needs an 11 a.m. game. It's going to be the 11 a.m. game on the BTN. Um, for Adrian Martinez, you heard him talk there, Robin, I mean, this is a big Saturday for him. He just needs to go out there and look like the guy that people would expect a four-year starting quarterback to look like. I get it. The opponent's crummy. They're a lower-level team. But he better go out there and make it look like that. Well, he's, I mean, make the easy plays. Uh, one of the biggest issues he had against Illinois was he, he just couldn't make plays that were wide open for him. I mean, missing, overthrowing touchdowns, missing guys downfield. Uh, you know, not having any zip on his on his passes because he wasn't throwing with confidence and, and getting his feet set and uh, delivering the ball with authority. I mean, I think that's something that he has direct control over uh, is making the plays that are there. And there should be a lot of them. He should have the opportunity to stretch the field, whip the ball around, make some big-time plays through the air, uh, and get some confidence going. Because uh, if Adrian's playing with confidence, suddenly the entire offense is as well. But, you know, that being said, He's got to have time in the pocket. He was running for his life against Illinois, and while I don't expect Fordham to present uh, anywhere near uh, the difficulties up front that Illinois did, uh, it's it's still an opportunity for Adrian and this offensive line and this running game to get going and get some positive vibes going after last week's uh, debacle. Yeah, that running game for Nebraska, we saw Gabe Irving get the start. We saw Marky Step come in. Then we saw Ramir Johnson close things. And, you know, I think Irvin and Step based on the grades on Pro Football Focus and what you saw, they struggled in pass protection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, one or two times of that, that's a turnover. That's Adrian Martinez getting hit, blowing up the play. So th- those are important plays. And they went to Ramir Johnson. We didn't see Savion Morrison. Um, so I'll be curious. I, I think they need to get um, – Irvin going this week. They need to like let this kid get some confidence. Mm-hmm. They need to get one of them going. That's for sure. And the crazy thing about Morrison was, you know, on Tuesday Matt Lubick was asked about him and why he wasn't playing. He's like, well, we need to rely on the guys that uh, you know we can trust in practice. You know, the guys that are consistent in practice. Well, I think the only reason Sevion vaulted himself into that conversation was because he was playing so well in practice uh, all throughout fall camp, and he was finally healthy, staying on the field. So. I don't know what changed over that final uh, game week leading up to Illinois, but uh, for him to not even get a single snap, let alone a carry, 
was definitely eyebrow raising. So whether it's Gabe Irvin or Step or <laughs> Ramir Johnson, I don't know. Whoever's in that backfield, they got to be able to run the ball, and they need to stick and commit with the run. Uh, I think Austin Allen voiced some frustrations on Tuesday. He said, you know, I was wanting us to come out with a little bit more 12 personnel with two tight ends and, and just run the ball. I mean, if championship teams... They just don't have that second tight the end, running though, game I mean. needs to be your bread and butter. So, yeah, I'm sure Volkolek being out... Chris Hickman is not a traditional 12 person. But he was also one of their best blockers as a receiver. So, I mean, he can block. And they can find ways to utilize him, especially against an opponent like Fordham. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they, they've got to get some of these things going. And when will Volko like be back? That's a great question. We don't know yet. We just know he's close, whatever that means. Maybe Oklahoma. But that's a guy that they were missing for sure with what he b- provided as a blocker. He mm-hmm. was regarded as the best blocker on the team. Um, wide receiver wise, Oliver Martin led the way last week. We only really got a small taste of Samore Torre. Um, Wyatt Lever, as we somewhat speculated on the site, and I know I know I got tarred and feather for it <laughs> that he was going to play over Omar Manning, but he did. I mean, did. I mean, I literally got ran out of like Husker Online for the week for even saying that this is probably the way it's heading. Mm-hmm. And man, I mean, and. I, I'm not saying I agree. I know Omar Manning's more talented and has more upside. So I'll be curious where that all goes um, with him and his reps. Well, I mean, I think it's another instance of staff sticking with the guys they trust. And whether Sevian Morrison or Omar Manning are more talented players or Xavier Betts. Yeah, Xavier Betts. This staff is going to emphasize, maybe above all else, what you do on the day to day between the games. And so hopefully. Uh, all those guys can find ways to, to work themselves back into the good graces of the staff and play more because they are too talented to be watching from the sideline. Yeah, they've got to get it figured out. They need to run plays and reps. And, you know, I think when Nebraska's offense is off schedule, like we saw Saturday, nobody can play because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're in these high-stress second and third downs. And how many good first down plays in Nebraska have last week? Hardly any. And so when it's second and nine and third and seven, I mean... Yeah, those are high-stress downs. Especially for an offensive line that was having issues. And so, yes, that that had as much to do with it as anything, is their lack of first down success, particularly with a run. All right, when we come back, we will talk defensive storylines heading into Fordham next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. This is a long football season. I know, you know, a lot was made out of the first game, which it should have been, but you can't let somebody beat you twice. This game is the most important game of the season. This game right here versus Fordham, that's the most important game of the season, and we need to approach it like that. And I want to see those guys play a nameless, faceless opponent every time. The scheme's a little different, the formations are a little different, but it's about us. We need to get ready to play Husker football, black shirt defense, and that's it. And back, we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, as now we're talking defensive storylines for Nebraska Fordham. It's an 11 a.m. game. And, Robin, I thought early on, especially, there were a lot of promising things we saw from the defense. They looked physical. They came to play. They got a pass rush with four. 
Illinois kind of knew their strengths, though, and especially as that game wore on, um, they did not throw at Cam Taylor Britt. In fact, they didn't really throw down the field all, but other than maybe one time, and that was the big one they connected on. Um, everything was quick, release. So give Illinois credit. I mean, they adjusted to Nebraska. They're like, you know what? We're not going to let their D-line get back at us. We're going to run the ball at what we think are their inferior players. When Damian Jackson was in and Quentin Newsom was in on the, on the left side there on the boundary side, mm-hmm. they ran at those guys every time. They ran at Garrett Nelson, taking advantage of his aggressiveness. They didn't run at JoJo Dolman. They didn't run at Cam Taylor-Britt. Um, they ran on the other side of the defense, kind of taking advantage of what they thought was maybe a better personnel matchup for them, and it worked. Yeah, and they clearly found something and exploited it to the fullest extent. I know during that eight-minute drive, we were joking in the press box. It was like, hey, guess what? I think they're going to run left. And wouldn't you know it, they ran the ball to the left. And uh, they, I, I think, obviously, you know, Damian Jackson and, and I think Garrett Nelson had some snaps on that uh, drive as well uh, on that, that linebacker spot. But it was really Quentin Newsome uh, that I think really struggled being able to step up and, and fit the run, uh, our pro football focus grades that we looked at, I mean, he graded out a 29.2 with his run defense, which to put in perspective, you know, usually if you're in the 50s, that's bad. So that was substantially bad. And he was credited with three missed tackles. And it was just a rough day because Illinois identified him as a weak point and they hit it time and again and again and again. And Nebraska, you know, wasn't able to do anything to account for it. And that's why that's when Illinois took control of the game. I mean, obviously the the swing at the end of the first half was big, but for them to come back out of halftime and put together that kind of drive, eat up half of the third quarter, uh, and get a touchdown out of it, I mean, you couldn't have scripted it any better. And Eric Chenander, I know on Tuesday, said that of all the things that, that went wrong, that was uh, as as frustrating as anything. The fact that his defense came out and let that kind of drive happen that really changed, helped continue to change the course of the game. Yeah, that, I mean, that was so disappointing. Eight minutes and – you know, those missed tackles and those things really add up on a drive like that because it changes what you do on third down and second down when they get two or three extra yards on those plays that they shouldn't get. I mean, it was just Mike Epstein, you know, running five-yard runs and just pounding Nebraska and um, Nebraska just not really adjusting to what they were doing. And I think they were a little shell-shocked, Robin. I think the way that second half unraveled, it it took a while to kind of gain their composure and find some momentum. Yeah, and and I think that's part of the problem is you know we that's been the story for you know the last few years now where Nebraska de- defense will play really well for for a half or even three quarters and then as the game wears on and so much of the the, the pressure of the game is placed on their shoulders you know, they they tend to wear down and end up having those those game changing moments whether it's a, a long drive or a big bust that that leads to a touchdown uh, and that that's kind of been an issue for Eric Schneider's group since, since the get-go. And as well as they played through the first half of that game, I mean, uh, you look at the majority of Illinois' points, it wasn't the defense's fault. Uh, you know, they actually played really well, got good pressure, uh, you know, were, were doing what they were supposed to do. But when you continuous to delete, continue, continually have to lean <laughs> on your defense. <laughs> One of those days. Uh, have to lean on your defense to win every single series, every single drive for you to even have a chance you know, that, I think that's asking too much. Yeah, it'll be interesting just to see what they draw from that and kind of how they come out this week. And, I mean, this should be a game where a lot of guys play. Um, you know, like Jordan Riley only played four snaps. I mean, they, they played just primarily four defensive linemen. DeAndre Thomas got a lot of reps. 
Valdarius Payne gets rolled up as a D lineman. They use him in that role. Um, so not as many guys Robin played on defense last week, maybe as he thought. How about Chris Kalarvik? He only yeah. played about, what, 15, 16 snaps? Yeah, 15 snaps. And I was surprised by that. I, I, and I think, I think that goes back to a trust issue. Maybe they trust Nick Henrich more, and they obviously trust Reimer more. Um, and, and when the game gets tight like that, they went more with the guys that they trusted in those situations. Well, I mean, you can see it. I mean, uh, the defensive line, they, they played their top four guys with Robinson, Stilley, Daniels, Thomas, and then the only other D lineman that played was Jordan Riley, and he played four snaps. So all this talk about rotating in guys, and yeah, they didn't have Casey Rogers, but still, I mean, for your only, <laughs> I guess your, your, your next wave of, of subs to only play four snaps – that's notable to me. And, you know, linebacker, you know, Klarvik played 15 snaps. Damian Jackson played 11. I mean, Klarvik was a the guy they were talking about maybe being the best athlete on the team and just raved about him since the spring, and yet he had a really minimal impact. And then in the secondary, uh, Miles Farmer was the only reserve to play in the game, and he played 18 snaps. So, you know, we, we were harping so much on the depth and the luxury that Nebraska was going to have to be able to rotate guys in, keep the defense fresh, as the game went on to avoid those late game collapses, didn't seem like they utilized it all that much. And I wonder how much that had to play with how things kind of wore down on them as, as the game went on. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk defensive storylines uh, this week. And, you know, I think Fordham will offer some challenges. Uh, they got a quarterback that can throw it, um, veteran guy who was MVP of their league. Um, and then they've got a running back that had 1,000 yards rushing in 2019. So, Yes, it's an FCS team, but I still think there's something that they can get out of this week. I mean, it's just about them. Really, the opponent has nothing to do with it. Nebraska just needs to play clean football. I mean, stop with the mistakes. Make the right decisions with the ball. Don't turn it over. Don't commit costly penalties. Uh, Know what to do on special teams. When to field a kick. When to not field a kick. Uh, And just just game awareness. Uh, I think if you can show that you're capable of executing at a high level with that, all that other stuff is going to come into play, especially in a mismatch like this. So, you know, even if they win by 50, it's not going to do anything to, I don't think, change the tenor uh, around the program. But go out and play a clean game where you do what you're supposed to do, get the starters out of there, get some backup, some game experience. You can get some positives out of it. And then Going into Buffalo, the, you have another opportunity to do something that hasn't happened really much at all, and that's win consecutive games in, in consecutive weeks. All right, when we come back, we're going to take your questions in the mailbag next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Um, the message after the game is kind of just, you know, we gotta we gotta focus on ourselves more than than our opponents. Sometimes, you know, there's a few mistakes that we made up front that you know we can't really live with going forward. Um, whether it's you know missing a blocking assignment, missing missing the point to the linebacker, there's a few things that everyone's got to focus up on. Um, a lot of details that we want to be able to tune in on, um, especially when it comes to you know our blocking. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, getting you ready for the Fordham game. Home opener, 11 a.m. 
on the Big Ten Network. And now it's time to take questions in the mailbag. And, Abby, these are the weeks we earn the money in the mailbag as um, not a lot of real flowery questions, I'm guessing, in the mailbag here on the Husker Online Show. Yes, that's for sure. Well, let's fire away. What do you have? So the first one is, I know there was a lot of surprising things on Saturday, but what mistake surprised you the most? Ooh, um, I just, Illinois was the worst rushing defense in the Big Ten last year. And the fact that Nebraska couldn't scheme something up to run the ball better, and I get it, they weren't, they weren't prepared for what they saw, but I don't care. I mean, you should be able to scheme up something. That, to me, was the biggest surprise, how hard of a time they had running the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for me, it's special teams, uh, considering how much talk had been made about the emphasis they made in that area, and they worked harder on it than ever. They started every practice. It was high intensity every single day, and then your all-conference kicker misses two extra points. Your captain punt returner does the unthinkable and fields a punt at the one. Uh, you're losing the field possession battle. Uh, in every sense, and then, uh, you know, the, the the kick return game was a disaster as well. So, you know, that made zero progress whatsoever. And if they really worked at it as much as they did this offseason, then it certainly didn't show. Personnel-wise, who who are you expecting to see more against Illinois? Personnel-wise, as far as what, like anything? or Yeah, players that you were expecting okay. to see more. Oh, that we didn't see against gotcha. Illinois. Gotcha. I mean, Sevion Morrison, you just got the sense that he, he was going to play and he didn't play at all. Xavier Betts, um, whether it was practice habits or, or what the reasoning was, not seeing him was a surprise for me. I, I, I thought we'd see him kind of as a part of the main rotation. So um, those are the two that jump out immediately. Yeah, maybe Tyreek Johnson a little bit. Eric Shenander well, mentioned he him. He didn't travel. He did. Oh, he did travel. Yes, he but, was on the travel roster. But I think you know he missed all that time with an injury and some other things. So, but Eric Janander mentioned him on Tuesday as a guy they would like to hopefully work in a little bit more uh, over these next two weeks. You know, hopefully get some some comfortable situations to th- to put him out there and see how he responds. So that that's a guy. I mean, I've got a lot of talk about him this offseason. Maybe he gets a little bit more run going forward. Yeah, missed about two weeks, I think, of, of camp time. So. Hopefully Tyreek, yeah, that's a guy. I mean, the secondary really wasn't even tested. They didn't. Mm-hmm. Everything was so quick that it wasn't like they they tested yeah. coverage skills. Just right. three step drops and runs to the left. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do you have next, Abby? So as we noticed, there was a lot of mistakes against Illinois. But what was the most positive thing that you saw? Whether that be like an individual player's performance or like as a unit as a whole. I I, I would say. I thought Feldarius Payne, I'll, 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 I'll highlight him. You could see it in the spring, the gains he made, and you could see his poten- potential last year. You know, and he didn't. He was a guy that didn't even have an offseason to really train because of surgery. But I, I thought he was a real positive having two sacks in that game. And that was four-man rush stuff. It wasn't like they were blitzing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he beat guys up front. So he'll, he's my guy right now. Well, and Mike Dawson mentioned that, you know, Feldarius benefited from other guys, you know, showing good progress in the pass rush as well. Where Caleb Tanner, I mean, obviously he had the game-changing penalties, but other than that, he played really well. He was able to get good pressure off the ball. And, uh, you know, Garrett Nelson had a couple sacks. I mean, he hurt their quarterback on that big hit. So I think – in general, Nebraska's ability to get pressure with bringing just four was definitely one of the bigger positives considering how bad that pass rush has been. 
How important is this Fordham game to help Nebraska bounce back and gain some confidence? I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of a slump buster. You gotta you gotta put one together and, and just get some confidence and and come out of it and feel better about yourself. And you know, it, it's gonna be like the Bethune Cookman game mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I mean, Nebraska ideally is gonna just march right down, do what they want. They're gonna get like a beast mode three and out potentially right off the gates on defense, and they score again. I mean, that that's what this game should look like. They better. <laughs> <laughs> if this is like one of those deals where they win like thirty-five to thirteen or like something the McNeese, like, the, yes. like the McNeese or the State South game. Alabama game from a few years well, ago. Well, McNeese State was FCS, yeah, and they almost won. It, so, took, it took an Amir Abdullah. Oh, I remember, I remember it vividly. So I mean, but McNeese State is significantly better a program than Fordham than the Patriot League. I mean, yes. Fordham couldn't even. And you'll hear from Joe uh, DeBerry here later in the show from Fordham in the spring. There were times where they they practice only by position group because they they didn't want to have everybody together to potentially have everybody out for exposure. Wow, and I remember McNeese is one of those programs that's a bunch of like SEC castoffs, like the guys that didn't qualify academically or anything. So, kind of different story there. But Nebraska, the only acceptable outcome is a just absolute beat down blowout where you're playing your entire roster, getting some of those backup quarterbacks some reps, and just you know have this thing over by halftime. After what we saw against Illinois, do you think it's still possible for the Huskers to have a winning season? Sure. I mean, it really is. I I think we have the tendency just to definitely pull the plug and hit the panic button right now, and rightfully so. That was a bad game. But if they win these next two, which they're supposed to, and we know that's there's nothing for taking, you know, that's a guarantee. But the Oklahoma game, I'm not going to really put a lot of stock into that. To me, the stretching, it's Michigan State, Northwestern, Michigan. That will define the year right there, Mm -hmm. where that goes, because we know what the back half looks after Michigan, and it's going to take some work. It's going to take some football we've not ever seen from a Scott Frost team in the last few years. But it's one game of a 12-game schedule, uh, but definitely things don't look very good right now. Yeah, and I'll I'll extend that. I think the end of September, starting at Michigan State, all the way through that home game against Purdue, uh, I mean, those are all games that are not out of reach to for Nebraska to win. And if they're able to win the majority of those, if, you know, and maybe get hot, get some momentum going, we I know that's been harder, easier said than done, but I mean, that that's your window. To save this season and have it be anything close to a success that's the window that Nebraska has to take advantage. And yes, this was a disappointing start, but you have the opportunity to string together back-to-back wins. If you're respectable against Oklahoma, then you maybe get some mojo going into that important window. Robin, what do you think about the Nebraska and Creighton Pro Pro Day that was announced on Tuesday? Yeah, odd. I mean, considering (laughs) you're talking about two bitter in-state rivals suddenly joining forces. But when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. For one, it's hard for NBA scouts to get out here uh, and just see games. For one, because there's just not a lot going on. A lot of times you can go to the East Coast and bounce around to two or three games uh, in a short span. Well, now Nebraska is creating an opportunity before the season even starts to get NBA scouts on campus. And it's not like Creighton and Nebraska are going to be on the court together. Nebraska is going to hold a practice with scrimmages and workouts and drills in the morning. And then they're going to give an opportunity for those scouts to leave Lincoln, go to Omaha, watch Creighton do the exact same thing. So really, it's, it's a combined effort to coordinate pro days on the same day at times that make it available for NBA scouts to see both. So Nebraska Creighton working together to uh, get as much exposure for their players as possible. All right, final question. Do you think that the sellout streak is going to end this weekend? And what is your favorite memory of the sellout streak? Ooh, um, it doesn't look good. Um, I, I just 
I know what that secondary ticket market looks like right now for Saturday. And you can get in for 10 bucks. You can sit in the club for like 20 or 30. I mean, the club seats, those are like $500 tickets normally when you factor in donations and seat costs. So that's not a good sign on where this is heading. As far as memory for me, I'm going to say sell at 200. I was, I've been in the stadium for a lot of games, almost, I think every home game since 93. Um, good year to get our first season tickets, 93, by the way. Um, but that game against Colorado in 94, Cordell's, it was, it was a number two versus number three game, Colorado, Nebraska, Cordell Stewart, Rashawn Salam, who won the Heisman, Brooke Maringer came in. I mean, that was, that was sellout number 200. And back then nationally televised games, like the really big games would be played at 11 AM. Uh, ABC kind of kept like a flex window at 11. So that was an 11 AM game. And I know a lot of people don't like 11, but that place is full for an 11 AM game. College game day was in Lincoln. Um, that's one I'll never forget. Just the meaning of that 200 sellout at that time. Yeah. And I don't know if there's one game that jumps out to me. I obviously wasn't at 200, but, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of the, the, the essence of the, the streak. I mean, if it does come to an end at 375, the thing to remember is that record doesn't go away. It's there. And that's going to be something that is going to be extremely difficult for any other program to beat. I mean, there's a couple out there that might get close over the years, but when you're only playing seven, eight home games a year, uh, it's going to take a long time. So if it does come to an end, when it does come to an end, that's something that Nebraska still will have as a feather in its cap, and it's really still a, a real credit to this fan base. Well, and COVID's going to really shut that down for a lot of places. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're just not going to see sellout crowds in the climate we're in right now. I mean, that, that's just the reality. You might see it in some of the southern schools, but even then, like the lower games that are not as important, they're not going to be full. I mean, it's just going to be a different year, I think, for everybody with attendance – um, across the country. But uh, that wraps up the mailbag. When we come back, we're going to hear from Joe DeBerry, the longtime media relations director of Fordham. He's been with them for over 30 years. He'll add some insight on what this game means to them and more. You're listening to the Husker Line Show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here, final segment of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, uh, pleased to bring in our our next guest as uh, the Fordham Rams coming into Memorial Stadium for an 11 a.m. game on Saturday. And pleased to bring in Joe DeBerry, the longtime media relations director of the Rams, uh, who will be coming into Lincoln. Now, Joe, will this be your first trip um, out to Nebraska um, for, for anything as far as a sporting event goes? Yes, sir. It'll be the first time uh, it'll be, I'll be able to check off Nebraska from my list of uh, states that I've visited. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, hopefully you get you can get, uh, grab a steak on Friday somewhere and, <laughs> and, uh, and enjoy your short trip here. But let's... Yeah, yeah. Um, let, let's get right into it. Um, mm-hmm. give, give us an idea where things are at. You guys played a shortened spring season at Fordham. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of a quick turn to go into this 2021 season. 
Uh, what did you learn about Fordham over the spring, and uh, what are they hoping to kind of improve on here in this fall season? Yeah, I think uh, the, the spring season w- was good for us because we normally have you know, the normal sp- spring practice schedule. Um, so this is just a glorified, I guess you could call it, spring practice schedule for us where we actually had three. We, we had scheduled four games. One of them was canceled due to COVID. Um, but uh, but it was it was great because uh, all the all the guys who played um, didn't count as a year of eligibility. So a lot of them are coming back that w- would have been seniors last year are coming back this year. Um, I think... Our offense really started to gel. Um, it's been a couple of years now under Coach Clawson with uh, Tim DeMar at a quarterback, uh, and I think that uh, we really saw that in the spring, uh, how they were clicking. Uh, the added bonus is uh, Zach Davis, who was a 1,000-yard rusher in 2019, uh, was injured, and so he actually set out uh, while he was rehabbing in the spring, so he didn't play at all. Uh, so we really have a really powerful one-two punch at running back with uh, Trace Need and Zach Davis coming in. I think on the other side of the ball, I think defensively, um, we've we really picked it up, uh, especially on the turnover battle. I think we intercepted like eight passes in three games, um, which uh, had been one of our, I guess, Achilles heels in the past a little bit was defensively, but uh, defense really picked it up. And, you know, they brought that energy into, into, uh, into I keep calling it summer camp, even though it's technically the camp for the fall. But, uh, you know, we, we just finished that up with our last scrimmage last week. And, and both sides of the ball, uh, like I said, return a lot of experience. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what, what happens going forward. Joe, we talked in the spring, um, and I remember one thing that really jumped out was how tough things were for you guys just in the fall last year with the pandemic mm-hmm. and I yep. mean, not even being able to have contact and wearing masks yep. on the field. Give our listeners an idea of just what your fall was like last year because it was a lot different <laughs> than most places. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we were um, strictly uh, – I can't say – yeah, I guess strictly online classes. Um, now, we did bring back the student-athletes. Um, so they were on campus and they were able to practice, uh, but all the classes were online. So they would, you know, go back to their rooms and, and, and do classes online for practice, um, kind of for safety sake, we kind of, um, uh, you know, I take that back. No, we weren't back in the fall. We didn't come back until the spring, uh, cause for practices, they split it up by the position so that in case somebody did pe- test positive, wouldn't take the whole team out of action for two weeks. It would just be that position. Um, and then as they as they slowly started getting uh, uh, accustomed to everything um, and things started numbers started improving for us on campus, uh, we did go through a stretch in February where we so we came back in the in the spring and we had some uh, in person classes. Uh, however, in February we did hit a certain threshold that required us to go back online strictly for two weeks, with with basically shutting the campus down for two weeks. Uh, we were lucky in that two-week period. We came out of that. Um, the numbers came down, so we were able to go back to to in-person uh, classes and and practices. Uh, but it was tough. I mean, it was tough on the players because you didn't know from day to day. You know, we could have gotten a spike, and 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 we were doing a, a wealth of testing on campus. We had a huge tent set up on campus, and we're not a, you know we're not a big school per se. Um, undergraduate enrollment is probably about seven thousand. But we had a huge tent set up, and you were required to be tested on a regular basis. And you know we would get the uh, the, the results pretty much on a daily, if not weekly, basis. Um, and you know I think for the student athletes, it was, am I going to be able to practice tomorrow? Am I going to be able to practice next week? And I think once we came out of that two-week shutdown in February, 
things seemed to have calmed down a little bit, and they were able to get back into more of a rhythm. And uh, like I said, by mid-March, they were back to practicing, I don't want to say normal, because I don't know if we'll ever get back to normal, but they were you know, more normal than they had been in the past practicing, getting ready for our first game, which was the last, uh, last Saturday in, uh, in March. We're talking to Joe DeBerry, the uh, Sports Information and uh, Media Relations Director at Fordham. Uh, Joe, this game came together, obviously, late. Fordham will get $500,000 uh, to travel out to Lincoln here on Labor Day weekend. What does this game mean to the budget and you just don't see games typically get scheduled on this short of notice, but obviously 2020 changed a lot of people's uh, thinking um, with, with getting budgets and, and, and finding absolutely. ways to generate revenue. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of going back, I, I'm upset because I did not get a chance to cross off another state from my list. We were supposed to play at Hawaii in, uh, in September of 2020. Uh, and unfortunately, that game was canceled. That would have been my first ever trip to Hawaii. So, <laughs> so I kind of lost out on that one. And I remember, actually, I vividly remember, we were getting ready for a baseball game here. Um, I guess it was in May. And I got a call from my uh, deputy athletic director. And he said, you know, what are you doing Labor Day weekend? And I said, well, I said, you know, because we already had a football game scheduled that weekend. I said, well, you know, we got a game. And uh, I said, actually, it's my anniversary on that Sunday, too. Thanks for asking. And he said, well, what do you feel about going to Lincoln, Nebraska? <laughs> and I was like, what? And uh, so like I said, that's how quickly it came together. And that was on a Friday. And, and I guess we officially announced it on Monday. Um, you know, financially, obviously, you know, we are uh, an FCS team. Um, we, on a good day with the good weather and a, and a good opponent, will draw 6,000, 7,000 people to our you know, stadium. Um, so it's not, we're not a revenue generating uh, a team. So obviously any additional revenue that we can take in uh, is is great. And we actually had already had, so we're going to be playing two FBS teams this year. Two weeks after Nebraska, we go down to Florida Atlantic and play them. Wow. Um, obviously Nebraska has played one game, Joe. They were at Illinois and yeah. um, lost uh, to, to the Illini in Champaign. What were your just views of getting your, I don't know if you had a chance to watch um, but kind of what were some of your early thoughts watching Nebraska and what jumps out to you about this matchup for Fordham going against Nebraska? You know, I, I unfortunately, I have, we were so busy. We had our first home soccer match this weekend, so trying to get everything set up for that, I didn't get a chance. I did see some highlights and read some of the articles on the game. I mean, obviously, Nebraska is Nebraska. I mean, yes, you know, the, you know that was a disappointing loss for them last week, but, I mean, they're Nebraska. Uh, we're Fordham, you know, we're, we're, and we're not Fordham. Not, you know, I don't know how many people remember, but, you know, Fordham in the 30s and 40s was a football powerhouse back when Vince Lombardi played here, and we had, you know, the seven blocks of granite. We went to a couple of bowl games. Um, and, you know, that was prior to the NFL really taking off. So, you know, Fordham football was the New York City football team. Um, so obviously, you know, we've come a, it's a, it's a much different game now for us playing at the level we're playing at. Um, and I think that, um, you know, obviously we, we recognize and, and Nebraska is a tough team. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're going out there and, and, uh, you know, we're going to play our game, but we also, re, you know, recognize just, the, you know, the quality of the athletes they have at Nebraska um, is probably you know, obviously going to be the best. And unfortunately, it's our first game of the season, but it's going to be, you know, the, the best you know, pro- the best team we're going to see this year. And finally, yeah, as we wrap it up, this will be your first game of the season traveling in front of, you know, 85,000, 90,000 people. What would define a successful trip out here for Fordham if you were to kind of lay that out? 
well, personally, I would say, you know, everybody makes it back healthy. It would be probably number one, um, obviously. But, um, but no, I think it's, it's just going to be such a, a great experience for our players. Um, you know, I've been talking to someone. We actually do have one player on the team, Trey Sneed, who transferred from Rutgers, who played there with Rutgers. And I was talking to him during camp, and he was trying to explain to us, you know, what it's like, you know, going out. Because this will be the largest, assuming it's eighty-five to 90,000, it'll be the largest uh, crowd to ever see a foreign football game, even going back to those, you know, Vince Lombardi teams in the, in the wow. 30s and 40s. Um, so, you know, I think, like I said, I think we're just, our players are just excited to be able to get in front of a crowd, you know, group like that. I mean, even, you know, and some of, the, some of our guys have played at, at pretty prestigious high schools but again none of them have played in anything that's going to be like that the the atmosphere they're going to experience on saturday it's going it's to be great well joe uh, we wish you safe travels out to lincoln hopefully get a chance to to meet you in the press box here on saturday sure. absolutely looking forward to it sean well joe DeBerry, our guest here that wraps it up here for this week's edition of the husker online show thanks again for joining us this week on husker online your authority on nebraska athletics